Hello, music teacher friends, and welcome to episode number 14 of the Beyond Measure podcast. I am your host, Christina Whitlock, happy as ever to be in your ears as your anytime piano teacher friend. We are currently in a series of episodes that are centered around reflection practices in the studio. This started back in episode number 12, where I presented a twist on the whole one-word philosophy for our students. And last week, episode 13, we talked about a simple way to create your teaching philosophy. Today, we are diving headfirst into the idea of writing student evaluations. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So I feel like I need to say this. As many of you have proven, it is possible to be an independent music teacher who doesn't do any of the things that we're talking about this month. You know, you can get by without doing this stuff. But I will also contend that you are probably never going to be your best teacher self without doing at least some of these things. So I know sometimes we have to kind of settle for an adequate teaching experience based on whatever else is going on in our lives. And if that is your season, then embrace it and do your best and run with it. (laughs) But I also know a lot of music teachers and many of us are just not content unless we know that we are giving our best efforts and providing our students with the very best experiences that we can. So do you have to do these things? No. Should you? Will they make you better? Yeah, I think they will. (laughs) Okay, I'm stepping off that soapbox right now. So without further delay, let's talk student evaluations. You know, communicating student progress can be somewhat difficult, but of course that doesn't mean that we should ignore it. Parents have differing degrees of involvement in their children's lessons, which means they have varying amounts of understanding as to what we are accomplishing and how their child is meeting or falling short of our expectations. So for me, I have found that writing student evaluations two to three times per year to be one of the very best things I can do to keep students, families, and even myself aware of what we are really accomplishing in our lessons. This is a system that has waxed and waned a bit over the years. I have definitely not been as consistent as I would like to be, But especially now that both of my girls are in school full-time, I am finally starting to climb out of that mom fog and take better control over matters like these. So I tell you this because the last thing I'm trying to do is heap a big pile of guilt on you if you feel like this is not currently manageable in your teaching situation. This is something you have to decide is going to be worth the effort. And while I think there's a good chance that it is, you are the only one who knows your situation. So please do not take any kind of pressure from me. I'm your friend, remember? All that said, 
as usual, because this is kind of what I do, I have a simplified system for student evaluations to share with you. Um, I feel like this system makes compiling evaluations quite manageable. So I've broken it down into some steps, and here we go. Step number one is very simply to set a goal for when you want to distribute said evaluations. <laughs> I'm working on a round of them right now because I find that somewhere around that first week in February is a great time to send evaluations. You know, our students are just about halfway through the school year, so parents are pretty naturally curious and also, the craziness of my students' like festival and competition season hasn't really hit the studio full force yet, so I have a bit more time to put these evaluations together. Again, your studio timing might be different for you, but just start here. Pick a target week to distribute these evaluations so that you know what you're working for. Bonus points if you choose a week to distribute the next round of evaluations, since this will help you set goals for the first round, right? So I typically aim to send out a round of evaluations in February and then again the last week of May. So as I'm setting goals for my students in these evaluations, I know the time frame that I'm looking at. Okay, so step one, harmless enough, look at your calendar and pick a week to send these evaluations out. Step two is to start taking notes during your lessons. So I try in my best teacher self to take brief notes on each student for my own reference every week. But let's face it, some days I'm more consistent in that regard than others. But if I know that I have evaluations coming up to distribute, that helps me frame what I'm looking at in the lesson. So I just keep a notebook or a Word doc open for the week, and I take a few notes on each student, each lesson. I'm looking specifically for things that we have recently accomplished and things I hope to accomplish over the next few months. So please, if you have you know, nothing else that you take away from this episode, don't skip this step because compiling evaluations is so much easier if you have already started the process during the student's actual lesson. <laughs> you will remember more, you will communicate more effectively, and you'll save yourself a ton of time. Your third step is, again, pretty simply to plan time to write these evaluations. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a little guilty of, you know, knowing I have three loads of laundry to do, but I don't actually factor time in my life to do it. And then I get frustrated that it's not done. So, you know, this is kind of a far reaching goal, but <laughs> make sure that you plan time to complete your evaluations. So, you know, as I mentioned in episode 12, when I was talking about choosing those one word goals for your students, I do not think it's reasonable to expect yourself to crank out large numbers of these evaluations in one sitting. <laughs> for me, I find an hour or maybe an hour and 15 minutes is pretty much 
all my brain can handle before quality starts to suffer. You know, I'll find myself getting kind of repetitive or kind of generic, and that's not what I want this task to be about. So again, I block out about a single hour each day for about two weeks. And that's because I have a fairly large studio. Um, You may need more or less time than that. Um, But for me, if I look at two weeks out of my, you know, semester, and I block out one hour of time each day, that feels manageable to me. The fourth step in this process is, well, obviously, write your evaluations. (laughs) Like most things that I talk about, I am all about keeping this process as simple as possible. Uh, There was a time when I had designed a very formal evaluation form, and it was really pretty, and it had all kinds of sections for various types of feedback and different ways of scoring and all kinds of quantitative analysis. It took so long to complete that form that in the end, it just wasn't a sustainable system. It took too much time, so I avoided doing it, and then I just stopped evaluating altogether. So really, as so many things in life, we have to keep these things as, you know, least less intimidating as possible. So rather than driving yourself crazy, I will recommend a very simple three-part evaluation. It would be easy to create a fairly cute document in Canva or whatever, but honestly, in order to keep myself really committed to this goal, the easiest thing for me to do at this stage in my life is just to use a plain old Word document, and I put the student's name and date, and then I have three bullet points. So here are your very effective, simple, non-threatening three bullet points. (laughs) Are you ready? The first is strengths and accomplishments. The second is upcoming goals. And the the third is additional feedback. That's it. Easy yet incredibly effective. Let me offer you a quick rundown of each of those three points of assessment. So again, the first is strengths and accomplishments. So here, obviously, I highlight things the student is doing well. Maybe that is that they are consistently passing pieces on my desired time frame. Maybe they have a great attitude or their handshape has really improved or their practice time has been very consistent or, you know, the list can go on and on. But whatever I have noted, hopefully the week before in their lesson notes, um, these are the things that I want to draw attention to in the evaluation. So second, we talk about upcoming goals. And the beauty of the upcoming goals section is it can basically serve as a polite way of discussing necessary improvements. So, you know, expressing that I have a goal for little Davy to be independently adjusting his wrist to the proper height by April is likely received much better than just saying his hand position is atrocious and it needs to be fixed immediately. (laughs) If practice time is a concern with this student, this is a great place to communicate a healthy goal to parents in a non-confrontational way. 
So, you know, some parents, I'm sure you've experienced this, can be quick to jump on the defensive when you tell them their child has something that they need to improve. But I think framing corrections as goals for a set amount of time can be a very effective way to keep the dialogue in a positive place. (laughs) So in this second section, I like to communicate specific repertoire goals or, um, you know, deadlines for memorization or completion of works, those types of things. Lastly, under the third category, which is additional feedback, really, I just simply include anything that didn't fit in the first two categories. So this could be something as simple as noting that you recognize what a busy season this has been for their family and how much you appreciate them continuing to make lessons a priority. It could be, you know, just a reiteration of the potential you see in their child. You know, whatever you need to do to wrap up this evaluation in a positive way. So I'm kind of laughing to myself over here because that's it. (laughs) It's a really simple, easily adaptable way to communicate your students' progress throughout the year. So I do have a few kind of catch-all thoughts, so let me offer those now. First of all, this process is important and beneficial for studio families, but I also don't want you to underestimate how important it is for you as the educator. I know that we kind of keep these running tallies of our student accomplishments in the back of our brains, but putting them in writing has proven to be incredibly beneficial for me. Because sometimes you'll end up seeing trends among certain student evaluations. Like if you find out you have several students struggling with the same concept, it can serve as kind of a red flag that perhaps you have some more planning you could do in a more proactive way to tackle those things. And also, as much as we try to give equal attention to all of our students, (laughs) these types of evaluations can make you very well aware that inevitably there are some students who could probably use a little bit more from you. So it kind of just keeps you on the hook for all students in an equal way. Diane Heidi once wrote a blog article about student evaluations, and she referred to this as a way to, quote unquote, sharpen our saws. Meaning that if you're trying to saw something with a dull blade, You just end up working 10 times harder with a less than stellar outcome. So sharpening our saws, in this case, writing evaluations for our students, does take some time up front, but in the end, it allows us to do our work much more effectively with less effort and better results. That's pretty much as much winning as we can get, right? Please note that you can distribute these in any format you'd like, whether that's handwritten or typed out, whatever. 
But I will say, if you keep record of those evaluations, they can be really helpful to refer back to when it's time to write the next one. So being able to say, hey, in February, I set a goal for Stephen to complete our 40-piece challenge, and I'm happy to say that as of May 12th, he has exceeded his goal and is sitting on 48 pieces learned this semester. You know, that's a great thing. It oozes professionalism, and it also gives a point for celebration. So I would strongly recommend keeping these on file in your own possession somewhere, some way, and actually revisiting them every few weeks just to see how you are doing and making sure that you are keeping up on those goals that you set for your student. This may not actually need to be said, But please, when writing these evaluations, keep things primarily positive. (laughs) I can assure you that if you hand a parent a laundry list of grievances you have with their child's technique, their practice habits, their fingernails, their attitude, their posture, and their lack of attention to musical detail, well, I just don't see that being well-received by any parent I know. (laughs) And also, for the record, I teach a fair amount of adult students, and maybe you do also. So please don't think that you should leave them out of this process, because adult students, more so than children even, are often very eager, if not a little nervous, (laughs) to receive any kind of formal, formal evaluation they can get their hands on. You know, if you have taught adults, you know that they often need more reassurance than maybe any other type of student. And a lot of that is because they're coming into lessons with experiences that equate their learning process to their experience with school. So that makes evaluation, as long as it's supportive and genuine, (laughs) a very welcoming, productive part of their lessons. I know that at least one or more of you are listening to this and thinking, oh my goodness, my families won't even read these. I'm going to put all this time into it and they're not even going to look at them. (laughs) So I know that's a valid concern that a lot of parents don't end up reading things that we send out. (laughs) But in addition to the fact that, again, I think it makes you a better teacher If you're really worried about whether or not these families are going to pay attention to these evaluations, you can always, you know, start by giving them a choice. Ask them if they want to receive a hard copy or an email copy. Um, Or you could consider even making like a quick Google form and making them sign the Google form after they read the evaluation. I don't know. I haven't done that. I'm just thinking out loud here. (laughs) Do know... I think that there's just something in accepting this, that there will probably be a family or two in every studio who, despite your best efforts, just doesn't read their evaluations. (laughs) I think it's probably inevitable. I kind of try to be real about that stuff. So I would just communicate multiple times about the evaluations in one way or another. And really, in the end, that's all you can do. (music) 
so since I keep finding new ways to give you homework assignments these days, I guess it is a great time to offer up a little toast to you and to all of the premium communication you're going to be offering this year. Music teacher friends of the world, I am raising my proverbial glass and I'm also giving you a pat on the back. <laughs> Simply by listening to this podcast, it is evident that you are an educator who cares deeply about being your most effective teacher self. <laughs> A teacher's heart can't help but think often about the ways that we can improve our students' experience. But it's very important that we also don't go off the deep end and try to implement too many things or too complex of ideas all at once. And that's why I loved this three-point evaluation that I mentioned in this episode. So as we continue searching for ways to reflect on our students and their own unique situations, learning how to set aside an amount of time to do so that is not overwhelming, my hope for you is number one, that you don't feel alone in that task, and number two, that we give ourselves and one another grace in the seasons where time is in short supply. (laughs) Teacher friends, I hope you take optimal advantage of lighter schedules when they appear so that these crazy scheduled times balance each other out. (laughs) Cheers to you, my oh-so-admirable teacher friends. (laughs) Hear, hear. And just like that, episode 14 is in the books. (laughs) My continued thanks goes to each listener of this podcast. Thank you for subscribing, for the supportive messages and reviews I receive, and really just for sharing episodes with your other teacher friends. It all gives me fuel to help keep this train (laughs) a-rollin'. Until next time, this is me wishing you the very best of what this week has to offer. Keep on shining, my teacher friends. We'll talk soon.